We are in a series on, on looking at the book of Daniel. And what's interesting about this series and this look at the book of Daniel is how Daniel lived within a godless society. And not only lived within it, but actually thrived within that society. And I know when we look at our world today, we look at our society today, it feels like everything is being turned upside down. It feels like things are changing so fast. And, and how do we deal with this uh, as a Christian and, and living in this world? How do we deal with it as a follower of God? Right now, the political scene is charged up, isn't it? This is it's a huge huge season of our country right now and and i and i think and, and i'm hearing from from many believers and many followers of jesus they're they're confused they're like what, what what do we do how do we how do we live how do we how do we understand these times and how do we live within them uh and and i believe the word of god has the answer for us and here's the answer is everybody ready here's the answer god's in control He's sovereign, he's, he's in control, and so let's just pray and go home. No, um, let's look into the word of God and see what God has to say. And, and I don't believe these are times where we shrink back or we pull back or, or feel like uh, things are slipping away. I believe these are good times. I believe these are times that, that we can take advantage of and believe that God is still working through it and that he wants to work through his church to show that he indeed is Lord. And I believe through the story of Daniel, who lived some 600 years before Christ, has some tremendous answers for us in the world that we're living in today. Now, I know many of you, if you've studied Daniel, there's some terrific prophetic words in the book of Daniel um, which God gives us the timeline until the end of, of times. But I don't, that's something that we can kind of gravitate towards and we try to look for the cryptic and what do all the statues mean and what does the dreams, how do they interpret these dreams and what do the 70 weeks mean and all these other things. And we've talked about that before. But I don't want to overlook the obvious. And the obvious is Daniel lived in a very godless society, yet he thrived in his walk with the Lord. And and this is something that I believe that we can overlook. Yes, it's interesting to talk about biblical prophecy. And and we all know the story of, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and the fiery furnace and all those things we can dive into. Um, But the thing I want you to understand is this key thought. This is is the key thought that we're, we're diving into over these next several weeks is this thought that Daniel understood this one key principle. So did, so did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They understood this one key principle. Daniel insulated his life without isolating himself from the culture. So what Daniel did was he insulated his life. He lived for God. He didn't compromise his walk with the Lord, but yet he didn't isolate himself from the society he was living in, he actually influenced it by the way he lived his life and the way he walked before his God. And this is key because this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how did Daniel walk before God in that godless society and not only walk before God, but actually influence it where people actually took notice. Wow. They actually took notice that Daniel's God is something special. 
And so that's what I want to dive into today. I want to look at these things and how did they do it? Daniel didn't isolate himself from this world he lived in. He lived within the culture. He thrived within this culture. And Daniel definitely needs to be an example for us today. And we need to learn from this book. And that's why we're diving into it more than ever before. Because right now I believe uh, the days that we're living in, we need to hear this as the church of Jesus Christ. So how... Are we to react as, as followers of Jesus in our world today? How did Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, how did they make a difference in, in this godless society? How did they do it? And I believe this is, this, is, this is another key of how they lived and thrived within this society that was so anti, anti-God and, 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 and so humanistic and lifting up the human side of man and the sin of man. How, how did they live within this? Well, I believe they learned this. I believe they learned to actually use the opposition that came against them for God's good. They actually used, see, here's where we, I think sometimes when opposition comes to force, we just give up. It's too much. It's too hard. And God says, no, I, I want you to actually, you, do you realize that the first century church exploded because of opposition? Let me just say this. Can I just say this to you, nine o'clock crowd? I think we've gotten a little soft. <laughs> I think we've gotten a little wussified. Let me, tell, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why for y'all just... Put that in your notes. No, I'm just seeing it. Here, here's why. Here's why. Because I believe we've lived in a country where the sentiment has, has been good to live in this country and being a follower of God. Much, much of the principles that were followed have been there for years. They're not there anymore, right? And all of a sudden there's this opposition force. But I don't believe that the opposition that's coming against us is necessarily a bad thing. I think it can be a good thing. And what... Daniel did and his friends did is they actually used this opposition that came against them and they used it for God's glory and for God's good. There's this really interesting illustration um, that, that I found. Now, let me, let me say this. By, by no means do I know anything about sailing. Nothing. All I do is I get in my little tiny 14-foot bass boat and I press a little pedal and my trolling motor moves me around, right? I have a little engine in the back. That's as far as I go is any kind of boating expertise. I am not, I have so much respect for those that can get into a boat and learn how to sail with the wind. It, I have tremendous, there's so much that goes into that. And, but there's one thing that I learned that I believe this is a great illustration that I believe that Daniel understood and his friends understood about using the opposition for actually their advantage. There is, there is something in sailing that's called to tack or tacking. Now, I don't know if you know many of you that sail, you know exactly what this means, but this is, this is, this is what it means um, to tack. Now, now, let me just say this. Once again, I know nothing about sailing, but can I just say this? My favorite song is about sailing. Let me play it for you. Just let me give you just my favorite song. Mm. Mm. 
Mm. Love that song. Isn't that a great song? Didn't that just take you back to the 80s? Yeah, that's good stuff right there. I don't care what you say. That's like my favorite 80s song of all time. Okay. Sailing by Christopher Cross. But here's the thing. I believe this principle, this illustration of tacking or to tack, this is what it means. To tack means to sail forward when the wind is in your face and you still make progress. Here's, here's what Daniel understood. See, it's easy. How many know it's easy to sail with the wind? Let me just say for years, America has been sailing. American Christians have been sailing with the wind. Easy to live for Christ when you're sailing with the wind, right? But when that wind is in your face, we struggle. Because what it causes us to do is really press into what we really believe. And God, can you really work through our lives? God used persecution to explode the first century church, to cause the first century church to grow. So persecution is not a bad thing. How do we use that for for God's good so that we grow and allow God to be God in our lives? I I believe Daniel understood this tacking principle of sailing forward even when the wind was in your face and they still made progress. So let, let's, let me tell you how they used opposition for their favor. How they used the, the wind that was coming in their face. What did they do to turn that around and actually move forward and not back and not shrink back? So let's, let's look at Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. You can take out your Bibles. We've got Bibles there in the pews for you. Look up at the screens. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to look at verse 17 through 21 because this is explains... What, 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 these, what these men did and how they used this opposition for their favor. Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. This is what the word of God says. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions, dreams of all kind. And, and, and at the end... Of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's service. They entered into the king's service. They became servants to the king. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians, all the enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Lord, I just pray this morning, God, as we dig into your word here and understand how you worked through these four young men, God, I pray that you would change our hearts. God, we need, we need to see through your eyes. We need to feel with your heart what you desire for America. We live here. You've planted us here. We're not here by accident. None of us are here by accident. It's all by your divine appointment. Daniel was not placed in Babylon by a mistake. He was placed there by your divine appointment, and he figured it out. 
He knew what your plan was. He didn't shrink back, and he used it to glorify you. God, help us to do that, I pray, in the times that we live in. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said. All right, so what made these four young men stand out? In, in the wind of opposition, they learned to tack and use it actually for, for God's good. They, they didn't succumb to the wind or the opposition, but they actually used it for God's glory. Here, here's, here's the two things I want you to see. Two things real quick that I believe they used. They understand this tacking principle. They understood how to come into the wind and use it for their advantage. I believe they displayed humility and courage in the face of their captors. And here's the second thing. So vital for us today living in America. They didn't flaunt their spirituality before evil men, they actually lived it. They didn't flaunt their spirituality. They didn't demand anything from them. They actually lived their convictions before these men with humility and courage. See, what these men did was very simple. They served God where he put them. He served them where he put them. And because of their humility, they found favor. In fact, 10 times the amount of anyone else favor in front of their captors without compromising their faith in God. When I was a youth pastor, there was this group of young people who wanted to start a prayer group in their high school. Now, they had every right to do this. There's a law that's called the Equal Access Law that if you have a, like a non-school event, like a chess club or something that's non-school related, you can also have another club, like a, a prayer group or a Bible club. A group of students went before the principal, asked if they could have this um, Christian club, Bible club, prayer club. Um, they said no. Now, the, it, so they were thinking, well, what do we do? Because do we fight this? Do we... You know, do, do we bring in the lawyers, blah, 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 because this is our right, this is our right. And one of the students had this idea. They said, instead of fighting it, why don't we serve the school? Instead of demanding our rights, why don't we serve the school? And what they did was, they said, um, our group, even though it's officially not recognized, <laughs> um, we've got a group of, of followers of Jesus, Christians. Can we um, pick up the trash after every football game, home football game, under the bleachers. Now, that's a job everybody loves to do, right? It's just a fun job. There's, it's, you know, there's dead bodies underneath there. There's all, you don't know what you're going to find under the bleachers, right? And so week after week after week, they picked up trash. Now, the, the teachers and the principal took notice of this group until finally they brought them in and said, you know what, you can have your group. Served. They served with humility. And what we see in these four young men as they grew and they grew and they got older, we see these men serving. So, how did they serve without compromising? How did they find balance in their life? Because I do believe it's about balance, because it would be 
easy for us to think that these men actually compromised. They took pagan names from pagan gods. They studied the occult and astrology. To the self-righteous onlooker, it looks like they may have compromised their commitment to God. But this couldn't be furthest from the truth. See, I want us to get a true understanding of what biblical humility looks like. So let's first, at, let's first look at what humility is not. Okay, first of all, humility is not self-loathing. It's not self-loathing. It's not telling yourself, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good, Right? Famous Linda Ronstadt song. Okay, it's not that, right? I love what C.S. Lewis says here in Mere Christianity. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's it. It's not beating yourself up. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's a balance. It's not to think too highly or poorly of yourself. And there's a very fine line between confidence and just simply being prideful or cocky. You see, Daniel was confident in his faith in God, yet humbly served those who were in charge of him. So two things here real quick. Humility doesn't mean that you become a doormat. It doesn't mean you become a doormat and let people just walk all over you. And the second thing there is humility doesn't mean that you never take joy in sharing your successes. So let let, let me dig into that just a little bit deeper. Because I, I think we can go overboard on either side. The pendulum can swing wherever here we say, well, we're never going to, if, if I, I should never, ever share anything good that, that, that happens in my life because that would seem prideful and then we can go to the other extreme where where we're always talking about everything to actually maybe show off i read a story in the book that i was reading to prepare for this um series of sermons great book by larry osborne and um shared a story in the book that really kind of grabbed my heart Shared a story about a, a dad who um, had four sons. Now I've got I got two sons and, and a daughter, and you know you you're, you you see your kids do stuff. You're proud of them. You know you you you're grateful for your children and some of the things that they do. And um, I read a story about a dad that he thought it was boastful to ever ever publicly speak about his son's successes. So what this father did was when someone who talked about their son or something well that they did, this father would always deflect the conversation to something else. Now, you would think, you would think, okay, well, maybe that's a good thing. You don't want to embellish your kids too much. But the result was kind of sad because what happened was it was not humility. But what you had was four sons who now have these wounds and struggle with insecurity It's not that they didn't know that their father loved them. But there was this nagging and this turmoil within their hearts that they weren't sure if their father was ever pleased with them. I 
I got to know that the Lord loves me. Right? I want to know that, that Jesus cares about me. Do you, do you know that this morning, that Jesus loves you? He loves you. He loves you more than you will ever know. He did everything to reach you. And I think sometimes in our walk with Jesus, we, we run into this approval complex that I've got to please him. And there's something maybe that is lacking or a deficiency in our heart because we maybe didn't have an earthly father that was pleased with us or told us that he was pleased with us. And so that translates into this relationship with God that by my good works, I'm actually pleasing him. Do you realize that he loves you irregardless? There's not enough good things we could ever do to appease God's holiness. His love for us is unconditional through the righteousness of his son, that he does everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the type of God we serve and love today. He loves you. You need to hear that, some of you. That he wants to whisper into your heart, hey, I love you. Have a good day. I'm with you. I'm thinking about you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Got your picture hanging on my refrigerator, by the way. Just telling you about that. Right? I saw this documentary, and it was, uh, it was very disheartening for me to watch. Uh, the documentary was, was called Trophy Kids. And... Basically, what this documentary was about, it's a documentary series it's called State of Play, but they did this documentary called The Trophy Kids, and they fouled four kids and their parents through their sports. Uh, younger kids, a girl 10 years old who was a phenomenal golfer, um, two older kids that were getting ready for college. Basically, they fouled a golfer, two boys that were tennis players, uh, a kid that was a football player, a boy that played um, basketball, and they followed these parents and how they uh, coached their kids, which, huge mistake, by the way. <laughs> um, parents make horrible coaches most of the time. Doesn't end up well, usually. It was disheartening. And I was watching this. this they, they interviewed the one dad of the 10-year-old girl, and he would follow her around the golf course, and this girl was phenomenal. But he would just yell at her, and you're not doing this right. And they asked her, they say, why don't you ever encourage your daughter? Because she's actually a really good golfer. He goes, I, I'm not going to encourage her right now because I want to wait till she reaches her goals before I tell her that she's doing a good job. She's 10 years old. This one boy who was a football player, his dad, uh, the parents were separated, so he was living with his dad at the time. Just, it, that, that part of the documentary just really got to me. Dad just yelling at his son. Son just crying in the car because he could never please his dad. And finally, they, 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 at the end of the documentary, they said that the boy moved away from his dad and is now living with his mom. So we see the extremes, right? There's definitely these, these extremes of, of 
of never saying anything or maybe being over indulgent and uh, believe me, we can find all the wrong things that kids do. See, when we see our kids doing something for someone else or when they go out of their way to reach out to somebody, we we should be grateful for that. We should be proud of that. Or when someone comes up to you and shares something positive about your child, or you're proud of that, and you want to encourage your child. There, there is a difference between that and artificially downplaying or going overboard and hiding something good. That's not humility. We can do that with our spiritual lives. We can artificially downplay things and let it look like it's humility, but it really isn't humility. You know what's interesting about the book of Daniel? Do you know who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. Daniel shares his successes. Is that bragging? No. He's sharing what God did through his life. Isn't that interesting? See, here's a good definition of biblical humility. Biblical humility is serving others at your own expense. It's serving others at your own expense. I love what Paul says here to the Philippians. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with others, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, Here's the key. Daniel, Meshach, these four young men learned to tack against this opposition that was coming before them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel learned to tack against this resistance that was coming before them through Humility. Now, here's, here's where it gets difficult because this is, this is the key for us living in our society and the things that we see that are coming against us. Here's, here's where it gets difficult because it's easy to serve those who are servable. Right? Easy to do that. But this is when humility becomes real. Because when we talk about humility... What makes biblical humility, humility powerful is when we serve God's enemies. Didn't think I'd get an amen there, right? This is where it becomes real. See, listen, biblical humility is serving both who deserve it and those who don't. Biblical humility is serving both who deserve it and those who don't. I believe the best example we have of this is the example that Jesus leaves his disciples before the Last Supper, before this Passover meal, before he goes to the cross to die for our sins, 
becomes that perfect sacrifice for us. There's an example that Jesus leaves before us that I believe needs to be imprinted in our minds as we live in our day and age today. I believe Daniel got this. This amazing example of servanthood. And there's something that I overlooked here in John 13 as Jesus serves his disciples. What happens is he gathers his disciples together having the Passover meal. And normally at a meal when you come together, people come in and there's someone there that will wash your feet. There's a servant there. That, that was, that, the, the washing of the feet is reserved for a servant, a slave. They would do the washing of the feet. And so they all get there and there's no one there to serve them. There's no one there to wash their feet. This is customary. And so as they walk in there, everybody's looking around. Who's going to do it? Where's the servant? Where's the slave? Where's the person that's going to wash their feet? And all of a sudden, Jesus takes up the towel. And he bends down. And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples to show them this is the heart of God. Take up your towel. Never listen. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Never go home without it. Never leave home without your towel. This should be the towel should be the emblem of a follower of Jesus Christ because this signifies servanthood. And so what Jesus does is he washes their feet to show them this is the heart. Unless you do this, you have no part of me. The least among you is the greatest. Now, here's the thing that we can overlook. Guess who's in that party? Guess who's at the meal? Guess who Jesus' betrayer is at the meal? Does Jesus know that? You most certain scriptures tell us. The scriptures say this, that he washes all of their feet. Right? I'll wash your nasty feet. But I'm not washing yours because I know what you're about to do, right? Did Jesus do that? Mm-mm. What an incredible, incredible act of love for an enemy. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He chooses humility, chooses to become a servant, even when it was hard. That is the true Test of humility. You see, Daniel chose to serve his captors. They didn't deserve it. They were evil. Yet Daniel served so well that he kept getting promoted. And this began to show great effect in in that area. And amongst those kings that his influence began to make an impact to the point that both King Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius recognized that Daniel's God was the one and only true God. So how do we infiltrate our culture and not isolate ourselves from it? Let me finish with this. 
and not do it without compromising. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Because this is a tough question, because this is what I know what you're thinking in the back of your mind. Here's the question. When we do engage our culture, especially in today's climate, here's what I'm afraid of that many Christians do. When we engage our climate, we look at it as a cultural war that we are fighting this cultural war. And what happens is I'm afraid that we can become combative instead of serving. We can become boisterous, right? And that's what the world sees. And and our interaction is more combative than it is with humility taking up the towel and serving. Now, Pastor, do I not say anything? Do I, do I just, I can't do that. I can't, I can't close my mouth, man. I can't do it. What do you mean, Pastor? We don't say anything. I believe when you take up your towel, and this is in the forefront of your heart of what Jesus did for us, it will give you a right to be heard. That was good right there, people. All right? Not the other way around. Listen, we have no rights, none, zero before Jesus Christ, none. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. I'm sorry. I got a little excited. Are you hearing me? Get over it. We've got a, I'm sorry. I'm a little, my orange juice was expired again this morning. Okay. I'm a little excited. Okay. Um, I think we get this entitlement that we think we're owed this because we're Americans. No! When you walk with that type of humility before the Lord, that you deserve nothing, all of a sudden when you do speak, you're going to do it with, with the right words and the right attitude before God. And that's what he wants for those that follow Jesus in America. I believe that our influence is at an all-time low. And I believe for the reason for this, because we're combative in our interaction and we're not doing it in humility. And I believe it's through a humble heart that we serve this world will give us the right to be heard. Daniel earned the right to be heard without compromising his faith before God. Daniel correctly picked his battles. There was a lot of battles to be picked in Babylon, but he picked the right ones. We've got to have discernment and wisdoms on the right ones to pick. We must engage our world. Without it, we will have no influence. A relationship with the world doesn't, for the believer in Christ, endorse their behavior. Jesus was even accused of being a drunkard and a friend of sinners because he engaged with them and ate with them. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a sinner because he ate with sinners. 
Let me finish with this, because there's an interesting little passage that Paul addresses the Corinthians, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And what Paul does is he, he kind of um, clears up a misunderstanding that the church in Corinth had about how they were to associate with sinners. Very interesting here. Um, what, what happened is they misunderstood something Paul addressed to them in an earlier letter. He starts off in, in verse 9 talking about this. And what he does is he instructs them to actually associate with those who are dishonest, sexually immoral, drunkards. And what happened is they misunderstood and they thought they were to cut ties off with those who were non-Christians. He's, he, they thought he was talking about, oh, well, that's, that's the mark of a non-believer. Or something that doesn't, those are the characteristics of those that don't follow Jesus Christ. But Paul clarifies himself in that chapter. And he says this. He says, no, I didn't mean not to be around or to influence non-Christians. I meant don't hang out with those or be around those who practice those things who claim to be Christians. See, let's be careful that we don't make the same mistake as Jonah did. He was sent to, to godless Nineveh to have them turn to God. And what happened to Jonah was that he cared more about judgment than he cared about people. And what God does after speaking to Jonah and Jonah's hardened heart, he shares something with Jonah at the very end of that book. Let me close with this. And I pray this touches your heart. Because this is, I believe, where God wants us as a church. And this is where I believe God wants us to live in our lives today. Because sometimes I feel our passion for God and the things for God, which is good, can be blurred. And our, our compassion for people and their salvation can be lost. And if we're not careful, we can care more about judgment and less about salvation. Can I just say something? People need the Lord. Our country needs the Lord. They do. It does. It, it needs the Lord. We need to pray for our country. People are hurting. And, and as much as, as our country thinks it has so much wisdom in all these changes, the Bible shows us that at the end it leads to destruction and there's going to be a lot of people they are going to be crying out for a Savior to save them from all these bad choices that they've made, just like he did for you and I. Here's what God said to Jonah, Jonah 4.11. This is what he speaks to Jonah's heart. Jonah, you hate these people. You just want judgment on them. And they deserve judgment. Yeah. Jonah, look at my heart. And should I have not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? 
think I care about that? You don't think I care about these people? Jonah, I want you to see that I sent you there to be a witness of my grace. That I'm sending you out as my mouthpiece to share that through repentance you can find forgiveness and healing and through his word they did. Jonah didn't really have a humble heart in doing it. And so our example here today, people, is a Savior who came into this lost, messy world and took the role of a servant and bowed down, took on the role of a slave to serve those who didn't deserve it. May God change our hearts. May God give us a heart of compassion for America and to pray for America. That doesn't mean we don't have a voice or we don't stand up for the things that we believe are strong and convictions in our hearts, but let's do it with humility as we serve those around us. And so here's my action step for you today. I want you to carry a towel with you all week. <laughs> I, I almost felt like getting everybody a towel today and just giving it to you as, as, a, as a gift, just to remind you of what your role is. Put it in your car, put it where you can see it. Say, God, today, my role is to be a servant of you. Let me serve today. Let me do it with humility. Let me follow the example of Christ in my life today so here's my action step for you who could you serve this week that you see as an adversary who could you reach out to this week that you know are opposed to your values that you could reach out and say, hey, let me take you out to lunch. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. Maybe, maybe bring them a cup of coffee to work and just say, hey, just want to say, you're a good worker and I just want to bring you a cup of coffee. I thought you hated me. No, I don't, right? Let's break down the walls by how we serve. That's how you deal with Babylon. That's how we tacked against the wind is through humility. People, let's do it the right way. Let's do it the right way. Let me pray for you today. Let's bow our hearts and let's pray. And we're going to close in song and we're going to reflect on the cross and what Jesus did for us. So let's pray. Lord, God, we come before you, and God, I pray that you would change our hearts, that we would serve, that Jesus, you came to serve and not be served. God, help what you've done for us, the great length that you went to to die for us and our sins, to realize that we were bought with a price. Help us to have the same attitude, as Paul said, the same mindset of Jesus that we are to serve one another, to put others' interest before ourselves. Let the Spirit of Christ change us today.
so that we can influence our world that we live in today so that we can have a voice that when we do speak, people do listen because they know our hearts are right. God, help us to follow you in this way. Thank you, Jesus, for being our ultimate example. You're so good. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. God, thank you for your word that teaches us, trains us, rebukes us, and corrects us. Lord, we thank you for that today. And as we sing this song in closing, God, let us reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And may we go from this place, may we go from this place and see that this world needs you and may it be reflected in our humility before you. Thank you, Jesus. We give you the glory and the glory alone. In your precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's just worship the Lord today.